Hello, and welcome to this discussion about the Emerging Markets Outlook for 2024. I'm Luis Ogones, uh, Head of Global Macro Research. I'm joining this discussion by my colleagues, Johnny Golden, in charge of EM strategy, and Nora Santivani, who's our senior global economist. Certainly, emerging markets have seen a bit of the roller coaster that many other markets saw as, uh, as it tracked and traced uh, the ups and downs of uh, what market believed was uh, going to be the cyclical position of the US economy during 2023, starting the year thinking that there could be a recession only to price that out and then uh, be surprised by the resilience of the US economy. That resilience was actually also shared by emerging markets. And what we see is that the total returns accumulated so far across the subclass, subasset classes within EM, uh, it is in the low to mid single digits for uh, hard currency debt, for EMFX, for EM equities. And it's actually in high single digits for EM local markets and, and actually in the teens for uh, EM frontier markets. So overall, you know, not about uh, a, a dynamics uh, in terms of returns for EM as an asset class, uh, despite all these ups and downs and roller coaster dynamics during the course of the year. So much to discuss for 2024. Uh, um, Nora, maybe let's start with you. You know, we need to discuss, you know, what the EM growth outlook will be. Uh, for next year, uh, whether this resilience that we have seen this year is going to be maintained or there is a time of reckoning coming to the extent that there has been policy tightening on the monetary side, at least uh, uh, in many countries. And I need to ask you, you know, how, how linked is that to whatever may happen in the U.S., whether it is a soft landing or recession? Right, Luis. Yes. So EM growth this year has uh, held up much better than we expected this time last year. We're on track to deliver 4.1% growth in EM for the full year 2023. In our baseline next year will be another decent year of growth for EM. We expect only a modest slowing uh, to the 3.8%. So that's pretty close to our estimate of potential for EM. Uh, the bulk of that slowdown is coming from uh, China, Russia, Turkey, Excluding these economies, EM growth should hold pretty steady around 3%. Now, the external environment will turn from uh, having been a tailwind this year to more of a headwind uh, next year with an expected slowing in the U.S. to below 1% in the first half. We also still have subpar uh, growth in the euro area. But EM growth will be supported by an easing of domestic monetary policies, a boost to real incomes coming from further declines in inflation. So that will offset much of the drag um, coming from weaker DM growth. Now, this broad stability in EM uh, growth um, outside of China that I outlined, it, there are some important regional divergences there. Uh, first, to start with China itself, uh, we have growth momentum in China holding above 5% in the first half of the a year uh, that is supported by a slew of targeted policy supports, fiscal, monetary stimulus, easing of housing policy, and also some measures to stabilize foreign trade and investment. And then after those policy supports fade out a bit, then China growth uh, slows to about 4.3. But we get pretty close to this 5% target for the full year uh, next year in China. Uh, outside of that, in LATAM, uh, we have growth picking up a bit in the first half after a, week, a weaker outturn in the second half of this year. Um, in EM Asia, outside of China, we have a little bit of slowing, especially in the first half that comes from India losing some momentum. And that's only partially offset by uh, the cyclical upturn in the tech cycle elsewhere. 
in EMEA EM, C4, I think, uh, will see some consumption-led rebound after a pretty soft patch uh, this year. There's a boost to real incomes coming from rapid disinflation, EU funds, and monetary easing. Now, uh, as you asked um, at the beginning, uh, Luis, I think the, the two broad scenarios for the U.S. economy for next year, that is a soft versus a hard landing, both of which, by the way, are pretty high probability events in our, in our outlook, will have starkly different implications for EM. Uh, EM's resilience, I think, will shine through in both of those uh, cases. You know, the fact that EM fundamentals are, are quite strong, balance sheets are strong. Nonetheless, uh, obviously, if the, e, if the U.S. achieves a soft landing, then I think EM will have more policy space, right, to support a stronger recovery without having to fear a resurgence in inflation. Capital flows should be better supported in that kind of environment. Um, all regions would, I think, benefit. Uh, EM Asia would probably come out top. Um, now, if the U.S. falls into recession, uh, again, EM's resilience will help to buffer, uh, I think, some of that shock to external demand. Um, again, you would see probably a bit of uh, differentiation here, um, you know, between countries that have more ample um, you know, rate cushions, so LATAM would continue to be supported by that, whereas EM Asia would, I think, be more vulnerable in that kind of environment. Um, you know, capital flows would weaken, probably wouldn't turn into large outflows, but you, this would be a more uh, negative backdrop um, uh, for EM, as Johnny, I'm sure, will talk about. I mean, one more thing I would say is that over much of for the first half of next year, we think it's still going to be pretty unclear uh, which of those scenarios uh, we are in. So this is a period of so-called observational equivalence. Uh, during which I think EM policymakers are probably not going to preempt either of the outcomes and will stay generally quite cautious. So on that point, Nora, there's been uh, quite a bit of progress, I would say, generally speaking, on disinflation during the course of 2023 across EM, although uh, inflation is not yet back to inflation target ranges uh, uh, for most uh, inflation targeters yet. Uh, do you expect this to happen in 2024? And how much more room do you see for this, uh, some central banks uh, in EM have started to ease for this uh, to broaden to a, a larger set of countries, especially at a time when, you know, still the mantra of uh, the Fed and other DM central banks is higher for longer. You know, do you think that there's more room for EM central banks to ease next year? Yeah, so first on inflation, we, we do expect a further fall in inflation, both on headline and on core inflation. We, we see it down another 100 basis points um, over uh, 2024, so one percentage point. And both uh, headline and core should be converging around 3.5% uh, for EM uh, towards the end of next year. And that would be consistent with a broad return to central bank comfort zones for most EM economies. One concern we have is the disinflation is very strongly reliant right now on core goods. Uh, we do see that core goods disinflation persisting, partly because of the continued excess capacity in China, and that's spilling over to the rest of the world. At the same time, services inflation is still quite sticky in, in much of EM. In a handful of countries, especially places like Poland, Hungary, Romania, Colombia, we do still have core inflation well above uh, central bank targets, even at the end of next year. So I think in, in those countries, um, you know, inflation will remain a, a source of concern. With respect to the rate cutting cycles, we do think those will broaden to more countries as we move through 2024, but rate cuts generally are going to be quite measured and policymakers will need to balance 
uh, you know, high domestic real rates against tight global financial conditions, this high for long in DM, as you mentioned. LATAM and parts of CE where real rates are elevated and growth has been subpar, they're going to continue to lead uh, the easing uh, campaign for EM in, in early part of uh, next year. Uh, we've also penciled in some cuts in India, Israel, South Africa for the first half. But for the rest of EM, we see cuts coming only in the second half once the Fed uh, starts, uh, starts cutting as well. One last point I would make is that even though we have uh, EM rate cuts of on average 100 basis points uh, next year, this would still imply that monetary policy stances remain quite restrictive uh, well into next year. So inflation is falling one percentage point. We have nominal rates falling one percentage point. So real rates are actually not doing much. They're not really falling. And they're staying above our estimates of, of neutral uh, pretty much across uh, all countries. Again, LATAM will continue to have the, have the largest rate buffer and probably has the most scope here uh, to ease relative to the other regions. So, John, let's start discussing some of the implications of what Nora just said for uh, EM fixed income. Uh, as I said before, you know, EM fixed income was chasing, you know, the ups and downs of uh, uh, expectations on the cyclical position of the U.S. this year. Uh, would you say that this is uh, going to remain a key driver for EM into 2024? What other drivers do you see there as being important to monitor? And do you think that during the course of next year, we're going to see the environment shifting one way or the other? Yeah, I think this year has been uh, about the U.S. cycle, more or less, in terms of the big moves for EM markets as well. Um, you know, we described it earlier in the year as four seasons in one day, where we've really traded almost every cyclical environment this year, from Goldilocks to imminent recession banking crisis to, to sort of everything in between. And I think for next year, we probably need to to also and and part of our outlook is is that that's going to be the case as well. So the U.S. cycle will end up probably dominating EM fixed income again uh, as we resolve likely into a recession or a soft landing. Um, that those are going to be the big drivers. Now there is, we think, though, as we go into next year, a window at the moment where uh, what Nora called observational equivalence will mean that the big cycle. Uh, is is not a big driver at the moment for markets. And that means the little cycles, which are own EM cycles of monetary policy um, and around default cycles, both in terms of countries coming out of the stress of those or those which may be going towards them, uh, they're probably the better drivers for us in the imminent near term as we go into 2024. So uh, that's where we are focused at the moment on those small cycles. But as we get through 2024, I think we have to recognize that the big cycle is again uh, going to have to uh, dominate and we'll have to choose a US recession uh, or soft landing because these are very different environments for EM fixed income. Uh, we're probably more inclined um, to see the former, um, but that's going to be a big difference for the way we trade. So what does this mean, Johnny, the look that you're describing here for returns uh, for EM fixed income uh, in 2024 across the various sub-asset classes? Yeah, so the first thing is is to point out is that, that the return forecasts look relatively good, um, but some of the building blocks for that, for example, are that uh, the likely path and the forecast for U.S. Treasury yields is lower. Um, and so that's going to, for most fixed income asset classes, give you mechanically a relatively uh, relatively good return. But the extent of that move in treasuries and whether it's good or bad for risk uh, 
markets is really where the scenarios are going to diverge. Um, it's also worth highlighting that even the slowdown, which our US economists are looking uh, at, um, even if you don't assume a recession, is one that actually consistently has been uh, seen US equity and credit markets move weaker. So that kind of sub 1% growth pace uh, isn't something that markets usually in risk markets rally into. Um, but there's a difference of magnitude. So it's on average about a 14% down period for uh, US equities in those slowdowns versus over 30% down in recessions. Um, so that's why for EM credit, we're forecasting wider spreads, not uh, uh significantly wider by the end of the year, but about 50 basis points for MB uh, and about 30 basis points for SEMB. Um, that would give returns for the MB of about 12% and around 10% for EM corporates in the SEMB. Um, but it's worth highlighting again on that point of what are the drivers. 11 out of 12 percentage points for the MB return is really down to US rates both risk-free carry and the move in, in, in yields. So um, that's how you're going to get decent returns in, in most EM fixed income. It's not necessarily that, that your credit component is going to do that well. Um, for local markets, we think GBIM yields will follow uh, somewhat the path of US. Obviously, we are seeing uh, the inflation uh, uh, coming lower in EM, central banks cutting, as Nora highlighted, and um, that should help yields come about 75 basis points lower for EM local markets. Although we have FX spot um, losses probably of about 1% in our forecast, which should still give you a reasonably good return for GBIEM uh, in dollar terms uh, of about 7.7%. Tony, one last question on uh, is on technicals. Uh, obviously, with uh, treasuries uh, in the short end above five uh, percent, that provided you know stiff competition for EM fixed income. With so many investors saying, you know, why bother getting to EM if you can get you know risk-free returns above five percent uh, in three months uh, US uh, money markets? Uh, what do you think about the technical picture for 2024? Uh, uh, do you think that they're gonna we're gonna see a return of uh, inflows into bond funds? Uh, and uh, what are your expectations on the supply side? Uh, obviously, we get a lot of questions about the market's ability to absorb uh, supply. Yeah, so it's not been a great year for EM flows this year, uh, despite the fact that we've had reasonable returns. EM bond funds had about 31 billion of outflows. Typically, we would expect in a year of reasonable inflow uh, of reasonable returns to get reasonable inflows, and and that hasn't happened. And and so, thinking about why that's the case is important. I think you know the way you put it is one way in terms of the competition um, from risk-free assets. Uh, we can think about it also in terms of financial conditions tightening. You know, we we uh, have that nice chart which we put in in the publication about uh, G four central bank balance sheets, which have been uh, shrinking, and that has a reasonably good relationship with EM fund flows. And as they have been shrinking, EM funds have not had inflows. And I, I think that process probably as a backdrop is going to continue next year, certainly for the first half, uh, if you look at the, the overall environment we're going to be in. Um, 
that kind of period where we've still got uh, balance sheets uh, contracting and financial conditions may remain uh, relatively tight. Um, and so we probably shouldn't think the first part of the year is going to be fantastic for flows. It could then get a little bit worse if we really see markets uh, start to come under pressure from uh, this soft patch or even into a recession. But I think, you know, by the end of the year, hopefully as the resolution of the cycle comes, uh, we should see a Fed which is uh, cutting and probably markets start to come back. And so overall, we're actually expecting positive inflows next year of about 20 billion. Um, the other question is on the supply side then. And we have very low net supply forecasts for sovereign and corporates in dollar terms. Actually, net financing um, will be negative for both in our forecast next year. So the question is, how are EM countries going to finance themselves? And the answer in our forecast is that local markets are going to take the brunt of that. So we have um, a reasonably higher local bond issuance. Now, local bonds are, and bond markets are not an infinite source for countries either. So um, and there's certainly been a lot of focus in the US and in other bond markets about really who is going to be the buyer of all these bonds that governments are going to be issuing. Um, we look at this in depth in, in this publication. Actually, we find for local that, you know, it's obviously a concern and in certain pockets, maybe a concern in some countries versus others. But overall, we think that local banks and pension funds have probably got sufficient uh, scope to be able to absorb the issuance. It's also worth noting, and uh, the other side of this uh, lack of inflows is foreign ownership of, of EM local bonds is really quite low, and any move more positive will also help out on that. Well, hopefully, we will get uh, some more clarity about uh, the uh, Fed's uh, policy intentions so that we can see uh, a cleaner return to uh, EM bond funds uh, next year. So, Nora, uh, going back again to uh, the economic uh, outlook, uh, you have depicted a rather benign, I would say, you know, picture for EM growth still uh, next year. You know, some modest deceleration, but uh, um, uh, and and, the, and this inflation. So, you know, not maybe too different from 2023. Can you highlight for us though what are the key vulnerabilities that you see for this macroeconomic environment for emerging markets? Yeah, Luis, as you say, the, the base case is another year of resilience in which EM's overall macroeconomic vulnerabilities continue to move a bit lower. And much of that decline in vulnerabilities coming from the fall in inflation, modest nearing in fiscal deficits, and public debt to GDP ratios in the major EMs remain broadly stable. Okay, so that, that's the baseline is, as you say, a pretty benign one. Um, in terms of risks, uh, well, certainly on the debt side, this combination of lower nominal growth, higher rates is quite daunting headwind for debt stock metrics and debt dynamics. What we've highlighted there is that the refinancing of EM debt at higher rates is quite a gradual process. So that takes time to see significant increases in the average rate. And for the time being, nominal growth is still relatively high um, versus the interest rate. But certainly that's an area where I think we could see some deterioration in some EMs. The other one is on external balances. EM current account deficits are generally modest um, relative to the taper tantrum period, for example. But roughly half of the EM countries that we're looking at 
are expected to run worse current account balances than their historical averages. A lot of these are in EM Asia. So it's more that the current account surplus countries are running much um, smaller surpluses. FDI inflows have also fallen sharply. So the composition of financing some of the deficits has also worsened. I would say it's generally encouraging that no major EM economy apart from the likes of Chile, Colombia, maybe Romania, if you exclude EU funds, are running a current account deficit over 3% of GDP. That's the kind of threshold where we would start to be worried. So that's a positive. But nonetheless, I think external balances are um, looking worse in some places. Now, when we put everything together, our overall macro risk score framework suggests that we are going to see some increase in vulnerabilities in Mexico, Thailand, South Africa, and Chile. And a lot of these are coming either from a worsening in fiscal deficits or current account deficits. At the same time, we should see a pretty big improvement in Turkey. So there's going to be that kind of differentiation across uh, EM countries in terms of their fundamentals. Uh, final point to make is we have a number of important elections as well. So India, South Africa, Romania, Mexico uh, stand out among the larger EM countries. So that could have some impact on macro and market outlooks. And then there's also a bunch of elections in the frontier economies, right? So we haven't really touched on those economies, but some of them have very elevated balance of payments pressure, active debt restructuring processes, IMF programs, so on. So elections are also something to watch next year. Thanks, Nora. So, Johnny, just to wrap up, um, beyond uh, the clarification of the cyclical position of the U.S. next year, any other drivers uh, that you think uh, EM fixed income investors should watch for in 2024? And uh, what are we recommending as we head into next year? Yeah, so there's a lot of good thematic analysis, actually, in this outlook about things like how much is priced for cutting cycles and valuations and, and how we should think about trading in a uh, a lower growth China world. But one I would highlight here is the US elections, which will be a big thing. Um, interestingly, EM has generally rallied after US elections, probably because the uncertainty gets resolved and miss markets like that. But obviously, that didn't happen in 2016, uh, when President Trump was elected. So uh, we'll obviously need to be focusing on how the election race in the US goes. And clearly, it will be a driver for us um, as we get there. For now, as we talked about, I think we are in this window where uh, we have some relief from the pressures of higher U.S. rates. Uh, we think EM currencies should do well in this period, and we are, are positioned accordingly. Um, we focus really on some of those higher carry currencies. Uh, we think carry will continue to do well in EMFX uh, as we go through into next year and probably avoid the fast cutters uh, as, the, as the other side. On rates, um, we are in receivers and steepeners in places. Uh, overall on the index, it's a more um, sort of balanced stance just because if you look at the pickup of, of index yields to treasuries, they are very low historically. Uh, curves are inverted and, and the, that means we're very reliant on what the US rates curve is doing. And that market is already pricing really quite a lot for the Fed already. So uh, it's probably not the, the right opportunity uh, for the overall index uh, in local markets. Um, we do like frontier local. Uh, we see quite a few uh, countries where their currencies uh, and rates markets are recovering from FX devaluations and, and rate hiking cycles. So there are definitely some opportunities to be had there. Um, and uh, on the sovereign and corporate side of things, you know, again, it's probably 
uh, a backdrop which is quite benign for the next few months, but spreads are really quite tight. So we don't see a, a sort of big asset class uh, trade to be done there at the moment. But there are plenty of opportunities in the sub segments, uh, both ratings and, and different sectors uh, where we see lots of opportunities, which we go through in the note. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, uh, Nora. I think uh, there is uh, certainly, you know, quite a bit to follow in the coming months. Uh, the opportunities are quite idiosyncratic at this stage and maybe tactical in nature. Uh, the top-down views will probably need to be adjusted once we have more clarity about the cyclical uncertainty that is dominating the U.S. landscape right now. But that will come in time during the course of 2024. We invite all of our clients to take a look at our uh, year-ahead Emerging Markets Outlook and Strategy Report that we just published. And please feel free to reach out to any of us for any follow-up questions. Thank you, and we wish you happy holidays. Thanks a lot. This communication is provided for informational purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan's research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan, Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on November 22, 2023.